Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. I want to join Pastor Stephen today and thanking you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to worship with us at Celebration Online. And I want to remind you that we care about you no matter where you live, no matter how you live. We care about you and the needs and the challenges of your life. And so if you will let us know in the comment section how we can be praying for you or for others that you care about, I promise you we will join you in praying for you and for the others that you mentioned. And here's what we believe at Celebration Church. We know and believe that our God is a people-loving, prayer-answering, miracle-working, life-changing God. But thank you again for joining us today. I want you to take your Bible or Bible app if you have them with you and turn with me to the book of Exodus and the 20th chapter. Exodus chapter 20 is today we conclude our written in stone sermon series. Before we read uh, Exodus chapter 20 verse 17, let me ask you a question. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? For $10 million, what would you be willing to do? Would you be willing to... Leave your job or move to another state or to another country. Some of you are thinking, give me the moment just at this right now. I'll be ready to move within the 24 hours. Would you be willing to live outside in a tent for a year? Some of you are thinking, man, if you're talking about moving to Florida or Hawaii, I'm there already. It may be easier to think about things you wouldn't do uh, for $10 million. I live here in New Orleans. I'm a New Orleans Saints fan, so I don't think I'd become an Atlanta Falcons fan or a Dallas Cowboys fan for $10 million. And I sure wouldn't give up drinking coffee or eating beignets or eating crawfish for $10 million. But plenty of Americans say they would do some unbelievable, even horrible things for $10 million. In a book titled The Day America Told the Truth, James Patterson and Peter Kim reported that 25% of Americans would abandon their families. 23% of Americans would become a prostitute for a week. 7% of Americans said they would murder a stranger for $10 million. That's scary, really scary. 25% of Americans said they would abandon their church. 16% said they would give up their American citizenship. Uh, 16% said they would leave their spouses for $10 million. I've met people who've left their spouses for a lot less than $10 million. 10% of Americans said they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free for $10 million. And 3% of Americans said they would put up their children for adoption for $10 million. Think about uh, the responses to that survey. It's amazing what people will do, what links people will go to for the promise of money or the uh, promise of possessions. Now, those results really shouldn't surprise us because greed and all those kinds of things have been with us for a long, long time. And that's why I think God concluded his 10th commandment with these words, his 10 commandments with these words in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. The Lord said, do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else your neighbor owns. In that 10th commandment, the Lord is telling us that we got to learn how to deal with and overcome that natural desire that we have to want what others have and to take what others have. What is coveting or what is covetousness? In the New Testament, the word covet has its root meaning the word desire. It's really a combination of two words, uh, the word have and the word more. It means to have more. It means to want more. So covetousness is the overwhelming desire to acquire. It's a need that we have that's birthed by 
greed in our hearts and lives. And almost all of us have struggled with some kind of covetousness at some time in our lives. Now, we've been in this series of Ten Commandments, and in these last few commandments, some of you have been thinking, man, I'm doing pretty good. I've never, I've never been tempted to kill anyone. I've never been tempted to commit adultery. Maybe that's what some of you are thinking. I've never been tempted to, I've never been tempted to steal. I've never been tempted to lie. If you think like that, you're probably lying to yourself. But here's one commandment we've all been tempted to break. The temptation to want what others have, to, to want someone else's car, someone else's house, or someone else's wardrobe, or someone else's spouse, or someone else's money, or someone else's ministry. Now listen, it's not wrong to have desires for better things, but it is wrong when we get, become obsessed about getting what others have or what we think we need to have. Now, the Bible addresses the sin of covetousness all throughout the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We discover from the Bible that covetousness is a heart sin. By that, I mean it occurs in our heart more than it does in the actions of our lives. And Jesus said in Mark 7, 21 and 22, that covetousness or greed is a sin that, that comes out of our heart. It's also a hidden sin. It's a sin. Covetousness is a sin that we can commit with our minds and our friends never know anything about I mean, we can get involved in covetousness, and there will be no footprints. Uh, we won't break uh, any police radar. Uh, we, won't, uh, we won't break any law. They'll send the law books. But it's something that we struggle with in our hearts that most people will never know about. One time Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders that day, were there. And looking at them one time, in the midst of one of his speeches, he said, You can't serve God and money, mammon, or you can't serve God and money. And the Bible says the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus heard all these things and they derided him. Why did they deride Jesus? Because Jesus was exposing the covetousness of their hearts. Now listen, nobody, nobody wants to admit that they struggle with greed or covetousness in their heart and life. I've heard wonderful testimonies over the years, testimonies about how people have been delivered from the addictions, from the addictions of, greed, of, of, of alcoholism and drug addiction and gambling addiction and pornography addiction. I've heard wonderful testimonies about how God has forgiven people for their immorality and restored them to faithfulness in relationships. I've heard incredible testimonies about how God has delivered people from financial bondage in their life or how God has healed people and, 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 challenged, and, and transformed people's lives in so many different ways. But I don't know that I've ever heard anyone stand up and praise God because they were delivered from the sin of covetousness in their life. It's because it's a hidden sin that's often in our heart, something we tend to nurse and coddle in our hearts, but it's also a sin that hinders our fellowship with God and keeps us from his best in our lives. That's why God includes it in the Ten Commandments. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 5. He said in Ephesians 5, verse 3, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you because so such sins have no place among God's people. So what are some steps we can take to deal with and overcome the struggle we all have at times with covetousness in our hearts and lives? Let me share with you several things. To begin with, overcoming our struggle with covetousness requires discovering the consequences of greed. Discovering what really happens in our lives when we allow greed or covetousness to take over our lives. Listen to these verses. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It says in Galatians 5 verse 19 and verse 21, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Let me tell you again, as I before, have before, that anyone living out that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And what those verses tell us is that the coveting brings about the same consequences to our lives as every other sin. It brings spiritual death. It separates us from God in our lives. It separates us from the good things that God has in store for us in our lives. Here's another verse to consider. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. That verse reminds us that our sinful nature leads us to make sinful choices. Among them are having a covetous spirit. And those sinful choices will lead to awful, terrible consequences in our lives. Now, someone said, you can choose your choices, but you can't choose the consequences of that, those choices. So we need to understand there are consequences to giving in to the, to the desire to acquire, to the struggle of covetousness in our lives. Here's some of those consequences. Being covetous or greedy often brings physical demise in our lives. What I mean is that in the push to get more and more and more and more, we tend to overwork and overstretch ourselves, which, which leads to fatigue in our lives, and fatigue will lead to other physical problems or issues in our lives. Now, I realize that some people don't have that problem of working too hard and being fatigued, which leads to other physical illnesses in their lives. Sometimes I'll be preaching or teaching about the subject of fear, and I'll mention there are all kind of different fears in our dictionary today. There's, uh, there's acrophobia, which is the fear of high places. There's claustrophobia, which is the fear of tight, enclosed places. I, sometimes I'll mention weird fears like triskaidekaphobia, which is the fear of the number 13, or abutophobia, which is the fear of bathing. I hope that you don't have abutophobia. But then sometimes I'll mention the fear called ergophobia, which is a fear of work. How many of you know somebody who has ergophobia in their life? They just, you can't get them to go to work. Now, some people do struggle with ergophobia, but most people, many people are hard workers, and many people work hard to provide for their family, to provide for their life needs. But, but some people work harder and harder and harder than others because of their desire to acquire. They literally work themselves to death. If they don't actually work themselves to death physically, they kill every relationship around them because they don't have enough time to cultivate and build uh, real, good, and godly relationships in their life. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 4. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Let me read that again. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. The Bible says it's dumb to work harder and harder and harder simply to have more in our lives. And in the process, neglect the important relationships of our lives and the physical health of our lives. Being covetous or greedy often brings not only physical demise, it brings financial debt to our lives. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 11, the more you have, the more you spend right up to the limits of your income. In other words, even when, you, even when you are gaining more and more in your life, if you don't have control of that, if you don't have a victory over covetousness in your life, it will lead you into financial debt in your life. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like, and, and that happens because of covetousness in our lives. And then being covetous or greedy often brings emotional distress to our lives. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12, people who work hard sleep well whether they eat little or much. But the rich or the covetous seldom get a good night's sleep. You know, there's an argument to be made that the coveting person, the greedy person, is the most miserable person on the planet. Think about this. Coveting ensures that you're never really going to be happy in your life. If you covet something that you can't have, you live with a constant craving in your heart and mind. On the other hand, if you covet something and you wind up getting it, guess what? 
is never enough because you haven't conquered coveting in your life. See, coveting offers the promise of fulfillment, but always disappoints. Also, being covetous or greedy often brings uh, relational disagreements to our lives. It says in James chapter 4, verse one, verses 1 and 2, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires uh, at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill it to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Uh, in other words, lots of conflict it, it happens in people's lives simply because they're covetous and greedy in their lives. Listen, no relationship can survive a covetous spirit or a greedy spirit. Being covetous or greedy often brings mental dissatisfaction to our lives. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. And the Bible says wealth or possessions, the things that we think we want or the things we think we need to have will never bring happiness. They might bring temporal happiness for a little while, but they're not going to bring lasting happiness and lasting pleasure to our lives. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to have more. He, he wants to bless us financially and with possessions. Some of the godliest people in the scriptures were people that God blessed in material ways. I'm talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Boaz in the Old Testament and Nicodemus and and others in Barnabas and others in the New Testament. Many times God will prosper and financially bless his people, especially when they are putting him first in their life. What I am saying is that finances or material possessions will never bring us the joy and the happiness that we think they will bring to our lives. And then being covetous or greedy often brings spiritual decline to our lives. It says in Proverbs, it says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, don't be greedy for the good things of life, for that is idolatry. You see, anytime we put a desire for anything or anyone else before God in our lives, that thing or that person becomes the God of our lives, and the Bible calls that idolatry. Idolatry. Anything or anyone that comes before a God in your life is the God of your life. And, and, and when we have a God rather than the God in charge of our lives, that's when we wind up spiritually empty and powerless in our lives. Listen, no thing you can possess, no person you have can forgive you of your sins. No thing you possess or person you have can free you from the struggles and strongholds of your life. No thing you possess or person that you can have that can bring you lasting joy, peace, and contentment in your life. No thing that you can or a person that you have can bring you eternal life and a home and hell. Only God can do that. And so you got to be careful not to let your desire for things or possessions or money or even another person or position or power or whatever else take first place priority over God in your life. You know, it's Christmas time, and one of the Christmas movies that people often watch is a movie called Christmas Vacation. Have you ever watched the movie Christmas Vacation? Stars a guy named Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold, who's an otherwise devoted husband and father. He's trying to give everyone around him a great Christmas, and he gets word that he's about to receive his annual Christmas bonus, which up until then had been a substantial financial bonus. So he announces to his family, what he's going to do is he's going to use his Christmas bonus to make a down payment on installing a swimming pool. But then he finds out that rather than getting a large cash bonus for Christmas like he's typically been getting, he's going to receive instead a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. And Clark snaps when he gets that news. He proceeds to go through a tirade, directing at everybody else but himself. 
He ends up inciting his cousin to, to kidnap his boss and the SWAT team, it's called, surrounding his home. It's comical to watch and think about, but, but of all the people that Clark Griswold blames for his lack of happiness or uh, for, for his problems, he fails to blame himself. You see, he didn't snap because of his boss's stinginess or his cousin's antics. He snapped because of his own covetousness, his own covetousness and greed that led him to make some really unwise decisions in life that ultimately led to, led to lots of disappointment in his life. He believed that the promise of a swimming pool was going to make him completely happy, totally happy. Every time we believe something or someone other than the Lord will fulfill us, it always leads to disappointment and defeat in our lives. And so we've got to learn. Uh, these are the consequences of giving in to greed or covetousness, and we've got to make sure that we're not going to give in to that, that spirit, that struggle, that stronghold that will lead us away from God's way, God's will, God's best for our lives. So overcoming our struggle with covetousness requires, uh, requires discovering the consequences of greed. But also overcoming our struggle with covetousness requires determining to conquer our greed. One man who learned how to conquer his greed was the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And once Paul had everything, but he'd given it all up to follow Christ. And here's what he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He said, I'm not saying all this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul said, I've learned how to be content regardless of what I have in my life. Now, even though most of us, if not all of us, wrestle with covetous desires at some point in our lives, like Paul, we can conquer those covetous desires. And what's incredible about conquering covetousness is that usually it's about conquering ourselves, surrendering our lives to the Lord and conquering ourselves. So we need to take some steps that will enable us to develop contentment rather than covetousness in our lives. What are some steps we can take? Let me give you five very quickly. To begin with, we move from covetousness to contentment by acknowledging the covetousness that we have in our hearts and lives. You see, if you don't know that you're coveting or what you may be coveting, I, I have a way you can find out. Just ask the Lord, ask God's Spirit to reveal to you whether or not you have a struggle with coveting in your life. The Bible says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends me, uh, that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. In other words, we got to really ask the Lord to search our hearts and to help us to see if we struggle with any kind of covetousness in our lives. We may be coveting, but trying to deny it. And just like an AA or Celebrate Recovery Ministry have here at Celebration Church, the first step to overcoming a problem is actually admitting that you do have a problem. And the Holy Spirit will help you understand if you have a problem with coveting. Uh, sometimes it's easier to pretend we don't, we don't have a problem. But listen, pretending we don't covet is not the same as overcoming covetousness. And how do you know if somebody struggles with covetousness? You know someone struggles with covetousness if they have far more than they need of one particular thing. They may have far more shoes than they need. Listen, ladies, that might be a problem. Or listen, some guys, that might be a problem. They may have far more pieces of jewelry than they need. They may have far, far more uh, clothes than they need. They may have far more guns than they need. They may have far more video games than they need or gadgets that they need. They may have far more guitars than they need. Do you have some possessions in your life that would indicate that you struggle with coveting or covetousness? John said in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So let's stop fooling ourselves. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to pinpoint anything in our life that we might be covetous about. Also, we move from covetousness to contentment by breaking free of covetous desires. 
Right after John said, we're fooling ourselves if we claim we have no sin, he told us how to get free of that sin. He said in 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all wickedness in our lives. When Jesus reveals areas where we're coveting, here's what we need to do. We need to confess those sins and repent of those sins and turn from those sins. And the Bible says that God will forgive us and that God will begin to free us from the stronghold of covetousness or greed in our lives. Because we have Christmas Eve services here at Celebration Church in New Orleans, I'm typically here for Christmas, so I'm with my Florida family over Thanksgiving. That's when we have our Christmas gathering on Thanksgiving Day. And all there's lots of kids there. There are lots of children and grandchildren there. And I don't know about you, but I'm sort of obsessive-compulsive about trash on the floor. One thing I've learned is that having kids around, little kids around, is like having your own personal tornado around. I know that life is unpredictable, but there are a couple of things you can bet your life on. One is that there are, if you have kids around, there'll be kids' toys somewhere on the floor, and there'll be food on the floor and trash on the floor and other things. Here, and here's what I'm saying. Every parent knows that cleaning the house and keeping the house clean are two different things. When it comes to covetousness, we, we all sin. We all sin. And God will clean the house when we acknowledge that sin and repent of him, but it's up to us to Work with the Lord to keep the house clean. God will forgive us and deliver us, but we need to maintain that freedom by, by constantly rebuking those covetous, greedy desires when we have them. We have to resist our urges to covet. We have to repent when we slip up. We have to invite encounter, accountability in our lives. We have to surrender our covetous uh, desires to the Lord in prayer almost every day of our lives. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 16, you are free, yet you're God's slave, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And then we we move from covetousness to contentment by calibrating our income and expenses. Now, after returning from Thanksgiving, I had to get back on the bathroom scale. Now, I used to have a bathroom scale that I liked because it actually said that I was lighter than I actually was. That's because it was improperly calibrated. An improperly calibrated scale can make you appear lighter than you actually are, which may give you a false sense of success in your life. Or it can make you appear heavier than you are, causing frustration and a higher likelihood uh, to give up on living healthy. A scale is only useful when it is properly calibrated. And coveting can can interfere with a calibration between our income and our expenses. Here's how. We sometimes, I mentioned this earlier, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. And when that happens, our financial life gets out of balance. So I heard someone say coveting can lead us to have a champagne taste on a beer budget. Now, I'm not advocating that you drink either beer or champagne, but the problem with champagne taste on a beer budget is that the expenses aren't calibrated to the income. Proverbs says to us in Proverbs 21, verse 5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. And many of us don't have properly calibrated income and expenses because we're taking shortcuts and not living by budget. Let me tell you, one critical step in overcoming covetousness is developing and living by budget. Let me ask you, do you, have a, do you have a personal budget that you live by? Do you have a family budget that you live by? Some of you are wondering, what in the world is a budget? Well, a budget is simply planned spending. It's, it's telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where it went. Have you ever wondered where your money went? If you have teenagers, you don't have to wonder. You know where the money's going. 
But if we don't have a budget, we're going to constantly be wondering where our money went. And having a budget will help us calibrate our expenses to our income, therefore ensuring that we don't give in to covetousness, that we don't give in to that a desire to acquire in our lives. For example, I probably will never covet someone's 100-foot yacht because I know my expenses aren't calibrated to my income. Uh, and I know that's never going to happen. I'm never going to cover a private jet that somebody has because my expenses are properly calibrated to my income. Uh, those things are so far outside my practical budget, I don't even dream about them. I don't desire them. Listen, if you find yourself coveting after a new car or fancy gadgets or nice clothes, it may be in part because you're not living by a budget and you're not telling your money where to go in your life. We move from covetousness to contentment also by deciding to be grateful for what we have. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is all a gift from God, a gift that we need to be grateful for and thankful for. Really, so much of our covetousness comes from comparing ourselves with others. The problem is there's always going to be someone with more than we have and someone with less than we have. Our tendency is to focus on those with more and covet what they have. And that leaves us, it leaves us just dissatisfied and miserable much of our life. The antidote is to take on an attitude of gratitude, to be grateful for who, who God is to us and what God's blessed us with in our lives. And I've discovered almost, uh, almost every person can articulate things they are thankful for in their lives. Do you have a car that won't start? Should be thankful that you have a car that starts much, most of the time. Is the service slow at the restaurant? You can be thankful that you have enough money to even go out to eat at a restaurant. You have problems with your family? Be grateful that you have a family. Lots of people don't have a family. Often our attitude of gratitude is a difference between covetousness and contentment in our lives. And then we move from covetousness to contentment by engaging in generosity to the Lord and to others. Now, the truth of the matter is we all want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed. We want people around us to be blessed. But here's what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, you become more blessable. You experience more blessings when you are focused on giving rather than having or receiving or coveting. I don't think a person can truly be content until they've learned the value of generosity and they're practicing generosity in their lives and they're giving to the Lord and they're giving to others. If you're hoarding and holding on to what you have, it's an indication you don't have quite enough. It's an indication there's something that you're still coveting in your life. It's an indication you're not content. But when you're willing to be generous to the Lord and generous to others, it breaks the great covetousness has on your heart. Dave Ramsey said, outrageous generosity is a character quality of people who win with money. The Bible says when we are generous, our lives are pleasing to the Lord. When we are generous, we're being a blessing to others. When we're generous, it brings joy and blessing to our own lives. Displaying generosity is how we prove to the Lord and ourselves also that we are overcoming greed or covetousness in our lives. Now, now tithing, giving 10% of our income to the Lord, to me, that, that's not generosity. That's just giving to the Lord what he requires from us, what he requests from us in our lives. But, but giving above the tithe, now that's generosity. And the generosity that we exhibit demonstrates how much we've overcome covetousness in our lives. This Christmas, you're probably going to get gifts for everyone that's important to you. 
But I want to encourage you, if Jesus is important to you, if, if hurting people are important to you, I want to encourage you to give them a gift as well. One way we can be generous at the end of 2021 is by giving generously to celebrations. Everyone needs Jesus Christmas missions offering. Vicki and I, we really feel convicted about making sure that our gift to the Lord and to help hurting people is greater than any of the gifts that we give to any of our family members or friends. Our Christmas mission offering goes to Celebration Church, goes to provide benevolence for church members in need to help the elderly and less fortunate who can't pay their bills and meet their needs. It goes to support uh, foster care ministries and orphanages and things like that. It helps to launch new churches and, and ministries. It helps to provide training for pastors. It helps to support missionaries who are on the front lines, oftentimes in hostile countries around the world. And let me tell you, it's satisfying to know that when we give generously above our tithe to our, to our Everyone Needs Jesus Christmas mission offering, so many people's lives are transformed. So many people's lives are helped. And, and the gospel and goodness of the Lord goes forth across our world. And by the way, we're reminded that Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. You know, it makes it hard to covet. After cars and clothes and cash and guitars and other things, if we are focusing on being generous to the Lord, and to others. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit, those who've conquered covetousness in their lives, those, uh, they will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. I'm telling you, when we live like that, will break the stronghold of covetousness in our lives. Well, today we've seen that coveting has causes, coveting has consequences, and coveting can be conquered. I want to encourage you, Christmas is just 20 days away. If you don't decide to conquer coveting right now, coveting is going to conquer you, and it's going to lead you to live a discouraged and defeated life rather than the vibrant and victorious life God's called you to live. The Bible says, and the Lord says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. That verse reminds us satisfaction in life, something we all want. Satisfaction can only come from a decision to be content with the Lord who he is to us, and what he's provided for us in our lives. And when we focus on growing closer to the Lord rather than gaining more, that's when we'll experience real peace, real joy, real victory in our hearts and lives. Now, I want you to bow with me right now. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And like all of these written in stone messages, this has been a really difficult, challenging message. Because like I said, coveting is something... Even the best of us struggle with in our lives. We want more. Or we want what others have. Or we want to experience what others have experienced. We, we want all these things. And, and wanting more is a part of how God's made us. But wanting more obsessively. Wanting what others have. And being willing to compromise our morals and values to get what others have. Those things really hurt us in our relationship with God. In our relationship with others. I want to challenge you today to really examine your hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to you anything and everything that hurts or hinders your fellowship with the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you break any struggle or stronghold, especially this one with covetousness in your heart and life. 
Calibrate your life according to the principles and practices that are found in the Word of God. Determine you're going to be grateful every day of your life for who God is to you and what God has blessed you with and who God's blessed you with. And then embrace the practice of generosity. Figure out how you can give more rather than how you can gain more. And you'll find yourself living the joy-filled, peace-filled, abundant life that God wants you to live. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It all starts really with surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that or if you need to return to that, would you just pray with me right now? You say, Pastor, what do I pray? Just pray these words and really mean them. Pray, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Savior of the world. And today I'm asking you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, and to begin the process of transforming my life. Take away my shame and my guilt, my hurt and my pain. Fill my life with your presence, your peace, your love, your joy the power to change and the power to overcome any and every struggle and stronghold in my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.